Cool.fm is the perfect station for music lovers who enjoy a mix of adult pop, modern country, and classic hits. Our unique blend of different genres creates an awesome listening experience that you won't find anywhere else. With Cool.fm, you don't have to constantly change stations to hear the music you love. Just download the Live 365 app and start listening to our curated selection of modern adult and country hits, as well as the classics you know and love. So tune in to Cool.fm and start enjoying the best of all your favorite music in one place. Hello, friends. Dirk Manning here, the writer and creator of many comic books and graphic novels, including Nightmare World, Tales of Mystery, Hope, The Adventures of Cthulhu Jr. Friends, Twisted Haunted High Ons, and more recently, the book about writing comics, Right or Wrong, A Writer's Guide to Creating Comics. I can be found at DirkManning.com, across all social media, at Dirk Manning. Look for the picture of the guy at the top hat and the scarf. And you, my friends, are listening to Two Geeks Talking. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries. Of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We are joined today by a returning guest. He is the reigning, defending, eight-time current champion of Two Geeks Talking guest spots on the show. He has just surpassed Trevor A. Mueller. We are joined by the ever-talented Dirk Manning. How are you doing today? Good, good. Let me get this out weird right now. Trevor's a friend. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did not do this interview to usurp Trevor. Uh, you and I, of course, have a very long history. Yeah. So the fact that this is only our eighth interview, I think that makes us less than one a year. Really? I've been doing this for 15 years. So. Yeah. And like, I think you and I first, did we first do like 2015? Maybe? Yeah. So I started back in 2008. So yeah, you you basically started halfway through my, my show. Yeah. Right. So not like I'm clogging up the airwaves. No, no. Trevor, Trevor, if you're, if you're out there, which I know you're out there listening because you want to see what I want to say about this, but another personal man, you're still my boy. Still my boy, Blue. You just got to schedule more. It's good to see you too. It's been far, far, far too long. The last time you were on, and maybe there was the second last time, we did, we talked about crowdfunding. We talked about the, yes. the foundations of that too. I don't know if those are our last interview, but the one after that, I believe, was uh, Tales of Mystery Volume 5, if I recall, if not more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, well, so yeah it's been, there's been a lot, there's been a lot of ground covered since then, a lot of stuff coming up. We'll have, we'll have plenty more opportunities to talk in the future. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, we did the, the, the crowdfunding interview, which if people are watching this for the first time and have not gone back, I will tell you on record on the air, the crowdfunding interview we did, I think is one of my all time favorite podcast interviews I've ever done. I mean, you did such a great job. That was so fun to talk about. And then of course, Tales of Mystery is my favorite book to write. So people do that one too, you know, we're talking about. Probably our second or third interview that we did together was, of course, talking about right or wrong, your very first book, talking about comics writing. So I always jump ahead because I'm so excited to chat with you about this. But for those that don't know anything about yourself as a creative person, tell us who you are and what you're bringing to Two Geeks Talking this time around. My name is Dirk Manning. I'm a comic book writer. Some of my more prevalent popular works include Nightmare World, Tales of Mystery, Buried But Not Dead, which was a Ringo Award nominee in 2021. I wrote uh, Butts and Seats, Tony Schiavone story with AEW wrestling announcer Tony Schiavone. That was number one bestseller on Amazon. I've also write Twisted Haunted Highons with the rap rock crossover band Twisted that's been nominated for four Ringo Awards, including Best Humor Comic, or 2019, 2022, something like that. You can tell I'm very prepared for this. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. 
A lot of people also know me for Hope, uh, comic book Hope with SourcePoint Press, where I now also serve as well as writer as special projects manager. There's a good amount of people who are familiar with me for Right or Wrong, a writer's guide to creating comics, uh, which is a started as a column. Now it's a book about helping people who are interested in creating comics who write but don't draw make comics. And as part of my 20th anniversary as a published comic book writer, I'm now offering a second edition of Right or Wrong Volume 1 on Kickstarter, which people can check out at writerwrongbook.com. How long has it been since Right or Wrong came out? You can tell I'm great with dates by the fact that I was even stumbling on my on my, on my Ringo Award nominations. <laughs> but Right or Wrong started as an online column. Well, here, I got the original edition right here. I think the, the original version of the book, I want to say it came out in 2012. Mm -hmm. And I want to say the, the online column was in 2006 yeah. is when they, the column, which eventually became this book, started at Newsarama. So it's, it's been, it's been a while, you know, uh, that, that I, that I've written this, uh, the column itself existed for close to a hundred installments, many of them very long, obviously long enough to become book chapters <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> so 2006 is when it started. And I think the first book was published in 2012, 2013. This is a knowledge that I think is kind of overpassed a lot of the times because you're either a writer or you're an artist or you're both. And to separate and to segment your knowledge that you've gathered and experienced in the past 20 years, basically, I, I would say, yeah. if not more. You're providing value and you're providing a platform uh, in book form for your experiences. And I think nowadays, a lot of people don't realize 20 years was a long time ago. You get new writers now that are so focused on experiences through YouTube videos and tutorials and all that stuff that you kind of need to go back to basics and ground root. Yeah, this year being, you know, I've been kind of building this to 20 years of terror tour because I mainly identify as a horror. It's my genre of choice. That's what I go back to. The thing too is I'd like to think that I'm not a person that has, that truly has 20 years of experience. I don't have one year of experience 20 times. Mm -hmm. And there's a profound difference there. Right. From being one of the first comic creators to self -pu uh, to publish fully realized comics online and then doing self-publishing, working with smaller publishers, getting a chance to publish several of my graphic novels, original graphic novels through Image Comics, leaving Image Comics, going to Devil's Due, being one of the first comic book creators to really help develop the model that we now use in, in crowdfunding and in Kickstarter. And then from there, moving to SourcePoint Press and moving into a special projects manager's role as well as continuing that whole time to put out many, many other books. And also in the last five years or so, especially branching out to doing things like Haunted High Ends, which is a humor book, The Adventures of Cthulhu and Junior and Friends, which is all ages accessible book, to doing Hope, which is a book about a superhero. Not a superhero book, but a superhero, very different. While still also doing things like Tales of Mystery and Love Stories to Die For, you know, now working with the Lon Chaney Estate, we're doing a graphic novel adaptation of London After Midnight, the lost horror classic. Right, which, wow, <laughs> you know, or doing the book with Tony Schiavone from AEW and then getting turned around and write another wrestling biographical graphic novel with Arn Anderson. A lot of different experiences, right? And all that being said, I have remained committed to the original vow. You know, I guess kind of like Batman, right? You know, the, the original vow I took when I started down this path to be a comic book creator, and I like what you said about even more than 20 years, because before I even started writing comics, I said, if I ever, ever get to the point when I'm making comics, I will do everything I can to help other people do it as well. 
And that's the book. That's what right or wrong is. And then having that the original came out about 10 years ago, when I was prepping to write right or wrong volume two, I was looking at the original right or wrong. And again, to your point, you know, so so many many things change. The original version of this book, for people that have it, had still what I would say is largely a lot of universal truths in here. Things in this book stand up. I stand by this book 100%. But technology has changed. The financial realities of what we deal with and what people expect has changed. And when I was rereading volume one, to kind of put myself in that headspace to to really delve into volume two, I was like, oh, I should update this. I should update this. I started taking notes. Like, oh, yeah, I want to add, you know, I should maybe add to this. And originally, those were things I was going to address in Right or Wrong Volume 2. But I realized I wanted Right or Wrong Volume 2, when that comes out, to be a separate standalone book about what do you do now that you have the comic. As a result, I went back and I made the decision to take some time and completely update Right or Wrong Volume 1. It's the same book, the same chapters. It just has a new introduction now. It does have a new epilogue chapter. But in between, about 30% newly revised and updated content, about two dozen photos and graphics. We were kind of talking about it on the air. I'm a photo-averse person, you know, hence the, the face covering and the, you know, the guy with the, the top hat and the scarf. And, and, and the title image that you're going to see as well, too, when you see this video initially. Yeah. Right, right. That, that, that's always been my, this has always been my author photo, which ironically enough is now a action figure, which is pretty wild. <laughs> Doing this new book, I've decided that I'm being very open. I'm being very vulnerable about a lot of stuff in right or wrong to then do what I did the first time over 10 years ago, which is continue to like superimpose and like draw on sunglasses and a hat and a scarf on every photo, the few photos of me that existed in the book. It's like, come on, man. Uh, here's a picture of me with Jim Valentino, the person I was at San Diego Comic-Con. How am I going to send Jim Valentino a copy of this book? And he, and he happens to see the picture of him and I together. And I drew the glasses and the hat and the scarf on there. He would rightfully chew my ass out. <laughs> The gimmick is one thing. The brand is one thing. But come on. People know you're a real person. Or, well, some people do. Some some I'm not sure do. You know, this is my, my pay it forward book. And that's, that's you're right. That's kind of what compartmentalizes into making right or wrong is that, that desire to, to help other people get a chance to fulfill their dreams as well. You look at other books that have guided comic creators in the past. You know, you obviously you have How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. And of course, you have yeah. Scott McCloud books and you have everything along that line. And, and web comics as well has had their various uh, books from amazing, talented creators like from the Half Pixel Crew and Brad Guy and yeah. all that other stuff. So, so there are testaments to knowledge bases out there already. Not many of them have gone back and updated their content. Some have, don't get me wrong. Like uh, the books that we mentioned have, of course, updated their their various revisions. And you're doing the same as well, too. Why do you feel it's necessary to do that when you're upgrading only 30% of the book? 30% is a third. So when you say only, I'm like, that's that's a fair (laughs) amount, you know. But 30% new and then update material. The big thing is when people buy right or wrong, and when they buy right or wrong, the second edition, whether I'm, they're buying it online, they're buying it at a bookstore, at Amazon, or they're buying it for me at a convention, I want them to know that this book is still directly relevant to their journey. The original version, universal truths. There's a lot of stuff in here that still remains true to this day. But when I talked about what you should be expecting to pay your collaborators and things like that. You know, if I'm at a convention, let's say I'm at New York Comic Con in October and I got this book, this the original version of the book on my table, I don't want someone that is looking to break into comics and going to a convention to break into comics, which is what I did when I was starting, and then read the book and say, oh, I should be paying an artist as much when maybe 
that's not appropriate anymore. So to me, I, I take that relationship or that pact about when I take time to offer up a book, and especially a book like this to someone, I want to know that I am giving them the most authentic and up-to-date and, and helpful resource that I can give them. And that's what it came down to. I could have gone through and just tweaked a couple little things, but I, I've learned some additional context, right? And, and, and things have evolved. To me, what started is minor revisions. I wasn't even going to note it. I was just going to reprint the book through Sourcepoint Press. I moved the book from Caliber Comics to Sourcepoint Press. I originally wasn't even going to say a word about it, but then it kept growing. And then it kept growing. And the book went from 215 pages, roughly, from the original version to 260 pages in the new version. Wow. Okay, that's the second edition. This isn't like those old college textbooks where they like <laughs> change five words and then call it and make you buy the new version. Yeah. It's truly a new edition. And that way, people that own the original version, if they want to reinvest in themselves, right? It's like a new coat of paint, you know, or it's like replacing the roof on your house or something. So if you want to go through and kind of like recharge, refresh a little bit, here's a nice way to drop 25 bucks, reinvest in yourself, kind of give yourself a little bit of a tune-up as you continue to move forward in this path, if you're making comics currently, or if that's still something you're moving towards. Conventions have changed as well too. They're a fun experience. They're a wonderful experience. Being the attendee, it's the ex exci yeah. it's exciting for us to attend these types of conventions. But a lot has changed from from presenting yourself at a convention, being you know as, as a multiple congor that you are as a, as a seller of many books and and as a as a social magnet that you are as well too. I, I'm not even going to talk about the ice cream and the karaoke that I'm sure you've, you've attended many of those events. <laughs> when it comes to presenting yourself at a convention, did you update anything like that in right or wrong or were you focused more on the process itself? The original right or wrong, writer's guide to creating comics is about going from, I want to make a comic, but I'm not trying to get started to making the comic. Okay. Okay. So when you buy the new second edition of the book, the chapters are the same. Like I said, there's a new foreword and a new epilogue. In the epilogue, I talk about some things that I was I was going through and dealing with in writing the original book. What you're talking about, about now that you have the book in your hand, mm -hmm. that's going to be when I put out volume two, okay. which I have a lot of that done. But it's going to be about how do you interface at conventions and, and how do you interface with publishers? Because you're right. Um, the big question becomes, now that I have a comic, what do I do with it? And that's a whole separate conversation. And that's going to be volume two about what do you do? You know, how, what do you do now that you, you've made the thing? But you're right. I mean, the dynamics of conventions uh, have changed dramatically since, since COVID, since 2020. It continues to evolve. So that that's definitely a lot of stuff that I do talk about. And I have a lot of stuff put together for volume two already having that discussion, things continue to change. Things continue to evolve. And and I've learned things. I've learned things in the last three years. I've, the Dirk Manning that sits before you now is vastly different in a lot of ways than the Dirk Manning of 2015, the first time we sat down and talked together. You know, it's like, yeah, but I'm more than just the gray hair coming in, you know, the gray temples. You know, there's just, you, you learn a lot. Doing, you know, at times I was doing, you know, 30 plus convention appearances a year, getting myself out there. And now what I'm trying to say, well, I'm trying to dial back to 20 or less a year. That's still every other week, right? Wait, 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 you look at the, the averages, yeah. roughly. Yeah, that is definitely gonna be a, a big part of the conversation in the second volume. But the first volume for people who are interested uh, listening to this interview and interested in learning more at writerwrongbook.com on Kickstarter. A writerwrongbook will take you to the Kickstarter. 
or go to Kickstarter, type in right or wrong. It's about the process of making the book itself and, and, the, and the added context I've learned in the two decades since I started uh, being published. Well, the good news is you have a, a wonderful fan community as well, too, that has supported your, yourself. And of course, thank you for, for posting that we're doing this interview on, on the Facebook group and on social media. So there are some questions here that some people have asked. So I'm going to just quickly read through some of these. Here. All right. I, I have, I have done my best not to look at the question. You catch glimpses of stuff, but I've made sure like not to read them, read them so that I can give uh, spontaneous, non-prepared, non-canned answers. <laughs> From Alex Robbie, as a writer, do you have a process for dealing with writer's block, how do you work through periods when you're not inspired? I stack my schedule so much that I cannot afford to not sit down and write. <laughs> no, no uh, that's, a, that's a, half, a half joking answer, but half not. I've been fortunate that I rarely have experienced writer's block, and I'm going to tell you why. I always start with the end of the story in mind. Anything I'm writing, I start with the end. Even a book like Tales of Mystery, the fifth graphic novel just came out. I'm getting ready to start work on the sixth installment of this long-form series of graphic novels. I know the end. Way over here off screen. I know the end of the story. So I'm constantly moving towards that. If I get to the point where I maybe am trying to work on a script of a story and I feel like it's kind of meandering, it's not going anywhere, I rewind. I get back to the last part where I was really interested in it, and then I move forward to the next interesting part. I also never start writing a story until I'm jittery to start writing it, until I'm genuinely excited. Sometimes that means the cupcake may be baking in my mind for a week, a month. I have a story coming out later this year, a Fortune Miniseries called Homestead with Les Garner. That is a story that I have been sitting on since 2005 if not sooner, maybe even sooner. But the original, some of the original logo work I did was from 2005. Now, that's almost 20 years, right? That's one of the earliest stories I had. But I was never to a place where that story took priority for me. When I then met Les, and he could tell you this was probably six, seven years ago now, and I saw his work on Apocalypse Girl, I'm like, you and I need to work together. And I've got just the thing. I've got just a story, Circle Homestead. That's what truly started that story, that cupcake of that story, right? Baking again and getting to know Les better and getting to know his art style and stuff like that. And then realizing what my strengths and weaknesses were as a writer of how I wanted to approach this work. Homestead is a story. It's a very Native American-involved Western. And while there's certainly, I've done years and years of research about the culture of the Lakota people, things like that, newsflash. I'm not Lakota. And I got to the point where I realized to really tell the story authentically, I want to have someone come in and help support me in making sure that I am, I'm representing the culture of the Lakota, which is very integral to the story properly. So I, I met a gentleman named Rob Blackhawk, and he uh, became an official advisor and consultant on the story with me and then with Les for the art. That is something that 2005 Dirk Manning would never have done. I bring that back to this writer's block question. I don't experience a lot of writer's block because I don't start writing the story until I'm hungry to write it, and then I know the ending of the story, and then I race towards it as quickly as possible. And that's how I really have managed to, to avoid that for the most part. 
looks like the next question we have is from Kelly Joe Smith. They ask the following question. Oh, Kelly, Kelly, yeah, okay. Kelly. Yep. Oh, yep. Okay. yep. Which project thus far in your twenty-year career has given you the most angst, and why? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> right or wrong? The second edition. <laughs> <laughs> I think right or wrong was probably one of the most nerve wracking books I've done. When I write my fictional stuff, be it nightmare world, be it tales of mystery, that's my story. I'm telling the story. I'm working with the best artist uh, for the project. I'm telling the best story that I can tell. And there it is. People are going to like it or they're not. You know, I oftentimes uh, use the analogy of like when bands put out records, every record a band puts out is a timestamp of where they're at at the time. Right. So you look at like Metallica. Yeah, Kill Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, Injustice for All, The Black Album, and then stuff that we're not going to talk about for as much after that. I joke, I joke. But each album is a timestamp of where they're at, right? My fiction work, Nightmare World, Tales of Mystery, Love Stories About Death, even things like Hope, The Adventures of Little Junior and Friends, uh, The Upcoming Homestead, those are all timestamps of where I'm at at the time as a writer, Right or wrong, I wanted to be a timeless book, a timeless resource. And again, I've said this before in the interview, I'm going to say it again now. This original version of Right or Wrong, universal truths in here, timeless. But if someone's going to come to my table at the convention or buy this book on Amazon or buy it at writerwrongbook.com right now on Kickstarter, I want this book to remain a timeless resource for them. So that was a very angstful process of going through and updating eventually about 30% of the book and adding about 30% new material, but also keeping the spirit and the intent and the format and structure of the original. What exactly did you update and why was it important? Besides besides the, you mentioned about pricing for... Sure, sure. Um, a lot of it was contextual stuff. The Dirk Manning of 2012 talking about something, the Dirk Manning of 2020, of 2021, even 2022, I had maybe a little bit different perspective. I don't think I really changed my mind on anything, but I was able to maybe add a little more context or a little more nuance or speak a little bit more about experiences in it. So it's not like you're necessarily going to see big blocks of stuff that's new, but rather you're just going to see stuff threaded throughout, expands upon and, and strengthens and goes a little more detail about some of the pre-existing material top three things that come to mind that price would be a big one technology was another really big one that was pretty substantial do we really need to email ourselves copies of our scripts anymore right and even if you, you know you got google drive but then conversely google drive is only good as long as you can access your google email so that's not really an external resource so do you have a dropbox or do you have box or do you have thumb drives or do you, so things like that, burning stuff onto CDs, you know, uh, those, were, those were two. A third one, I haven't talked about this too much anywhere else. I added an epilogue to the new version of the book, to the second edition. And I talk about, <clears throat> oh, sorry, you little choked up on this. I said you choked up, the camera goes right to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well played. <laughs> I added a new epilogue to the book, and I talk about how, uh, when I was putting together Right or Wrong, Volume 1, I was in the throes of a very sincere, uh, sorry, a very severe concussion. Uh, I had a traumatic brain injury. At the time of me writing it, I was more than half convinced that right or wrong would probably be the last published work I ever did. And that really 
made it extra important for me to put that book out. And I wrestled a lot with whether or not I was going to discuss that. But looking back at the book now, celebrating my 20th anniversary as a published comic book writer and having over 20 graphic novels I've written published, not single issues, 20 graphic novels I've had published I've written in 20 years, not including a bunch of one-off stuff here and there. I felt I could not release a second edition of Right or Wrong, a Writer's Guide to Creating Comics without that epilogue and saying, hey, I didn't talk about this at the time the book was coming out, but I had suffered a traumatic brain injury. Uh, I had a ceiling beam fall on my head, give me severe brain damage. I talk about how bad it was, you know, and how I was fairly confident that I'll just say this, honestly, you know, um, I would pick up a book and I'll read a page. And if I turn the page, and would start to read, I would have no clue what was going on. Because turning a page, I lost everything. That was the state of my cognitive ability. That also carried through to my interactions with people, oftentimes. You and I could have a conversation. Probably still can't believe I talk about this publicly now. But you and I could have a conversation, leave the room, five minutes later, come back, Sometimes it'd be like I was meeting you for the first time again. Wow. I was very good at masking it. I was very good at masking it. But people that got to know me well would notice, like, something's, something's going on with him, you know. But I, but I hit it very well because I didn't want it to impact my comic career, and I wanted right or wrong to come out. So that's a pretty big thing that <laughs> they put in there is talking about that, but also talking about how you can overcome that. I suffered from the effects of uh, post-concussive syndrome for many, many years. And when you have brain damage, it's permanent. You know, there's, there's things that are fundamentally different about me from before I had my injury to this day. But I could not put out a new edition of this book without adding that epilogue as well and saying, you know, here's the thing. Here's one last little lesson. Um, and also huge giant kudos to Leah Letterman, who she was a close personal friend. She served as my editor on Right or Wrong. And you can only imagine what it's like trying to edit someone. Luckily, I had mo a lot of the book done because it was based on the old columns. But she did the Herculean effort of helping me edit me and work with me as an editor, as a friend on this book when that's, that's how much I was, I was dealing with cognitively. So she will never get enough praise from, from me for, for doing that. And, you know, like, no, Dirk, we talked about this. You can't do it this way. Like, we did talk about this. She's like, yes, we talked about this yesterday. Like, we talked yesterday. She's like, yes, yes, we did. You know, I had to, like, start, like, I had to start acclimating, right, making all these accommodations for myself. And then, like, okay, after Leah touches it, don't mess with it again. It's done. Because, you know, here I am concussed going back and trying to, like, reread the stuff and tweak it. You imagine what that looked like. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah so along with financial aspects technology i did add that epilogue and uh and, and talk about what that looked like and how you can even when you have um very debilitating situations that it's very important to keep going it's important to to get treatment um i had circumstances that i i i don't know if i got all the treatment i could have or should have um 
but even when awful, unexpected, random things happen to you like that, you can still keep going and uh, you can still achieve a lot of success. And that was the last thing that I wanted to impart to people in that new second edition of Right or Wrong is that, by the way, I went through this and since then, been nominated for the uh, Ring Award three years in a row and thus far. Um, I have had number one best-selling book on Amazon. I've worked with, I'm working with the, the, uh, the Lon Cheney estate. I'm working with Twisted. I've worked with Tony Giovanni. I work with Arne Anderson. I, I'm on the fifth volume of, of Tales of Mystery. Nightmare World coming back to print again with a new edition. Um, there were many dark days, man. And to those of you watching right now, there were very many dark days. And when you hear about these football players and stuff like that, that uh, wrestle with suicide after they've had traumatic brain injuries, I can tell you, I get it. I get it. But if you keep going, things can get better. If you keep going and if you get support and, and support yourself. And one thing I didn't do, which I should have, and I've tried to make amends to the best of my ability since then, was I wasn't more transparent with a lot of people around me that that was going on. So, yeah, I added that too. That's a, there's something else I added in. <laughs> First time I've talked about that publicly too, so. I, I always love the fact that you come on and you give me a lot of exclusives and firsts. So, you know, I do appreciate that. <laughs> the heck of one. <laughs> From all the spoiler alerts I've had over the years, I think that's the biggest one I've had. So, you know, to talk about something like that and, and thank you for bringing that, you know, to the world's attention here. Uh, yeah. Whenever it's, it's, it's in the book, you know, so people will see it. Being a writer and a lot of people who only see me in the public light might scoff at this i'm a very shy person and i'm a very introverted person and people see the karaoke and the ice cream and stuff like that and then you can there's times you can be an extroverted introvert don't get me wrong but at the end of the day you see this room full of all these books this is where i like this is where i spend most of my time on this keyboard and, and, and writing and doing this stuff it's it's difficult to talk about it it's difficult to write about it but it was easier to write about it than to talk about it and then to have this interview you know exist forever it, it's it's important and uh i appreciate i appreciate you again asking a great, great question and uh drawing that out and people can learn all about all this at writerongbook.com yeah, yeah. Well, i right that was that was that was very tasteless but on purpose i'm trying to make a joke about yeah, yeah read about my traumatic brain injury at writerongbook.com now that's just the last chapter. There's plenty of good stuff before that, all about creating comics. Reader questions. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's keep going here because I'm going to have to edit this. Uh, Callie continues on. Okay. Yes. Because she has two other questions here. Okay. All right. Let's hear. Let's hear. Um, which project in your 20 year career has provided you the most growth, and how? Wow. I might steal some of these questions. These are that's good. a good yeah, man. That's a good question too. Callie, you have great questions uh, from an introspective person here. I'm definitely going to be borrowing some of these, so thank you. I'm looking. You can't see it. I'm looking over here at my spinner rack. I have a spinner rack full of all my own work. Is it full yet? It's close. It's getting close. I I have a certain amount of books in the next 
if ball goes going to play in the next couple of years, it will be full. My knee-jerk reaction, I would say the most growth would be hope. And the reason I say that is hope is the first book that I did with a true co-creator arrangement. Uh, Kaylin Smith, an amazing illustrator, a fantastic writer. Uh, Hope was, again, one of those books that I, I had. You know, we talked about Homestead earlier. The Bullet in the Chamber for a long time. I want to do this book about a woman who moonlighted as a superhero and what happened when her identity, when she had, when she had to reveal her identity, her secret identity to the whole world. The first issue of Hope, the first chapter of the first volume, there's now a new special edition of that out with Source Point Press. But even if you had the free comic book edition of the first issue of the first volume back in the day, that's pretty much me top to bottom. That issue had been written for a long time. When it was determined that Kaylin Smith would become the artist on Hope, I really respected her as a storyteller as well. And I told her, I said, look, I said, I, I really want to bring you into this. And I want to, I want to, I want your perspective on this as a, as a writer. And again, going back to Homestead, if I'm going to write about the Lakota, I wanted to have someone that could help me better accurately understand Lakota culture. Writing hope with a book with a of the care the lead character as a woman. Obviously, I cannot write about the woman's a woman's experience. I can write about a woman having an experience. Right, the tales of Mister E. The lead character is black. I'm not black. Okay, I don't use tales of Mister E to write about the experience of being a black man in society. That would be gross but i can write about a man who is black having an experience right with hope i knew that there may be an aspect to this where carrie's contributions as a storyteller and as a writer would be invaluable to me right there's times her and I disagree about what uh, what Hope does and why she does it. But it was really the first time I truly co-collaborated with a writer on a book. One of the coolest aspects of the book uh, came from Kaylin. Uh, she has gone on to do other books now. Uh, Sally Scott, who's an artist I've worked with for a long time, is the illustrator on Hope Volume 2, which is coming out uh, next month, finally. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever been asked more about what the next volume of a book is coming out than Hope. <laughs> But Kaylin Smith is still credited and does exist as co-creator of that book, even though she's no longer directly involved in it, because she was so involved in the DNA of creating that book. And, and again, if Kaylin Smith never draws hope again in her life or never never even sketches or never even thinks about her again, she's the, the co-creator of that book. And she will always be co-creator of that book. And I will always be appreciative and value the contribution she brought to that. And that was a lot of growth for me because again, introverted writer. I said, here, I do my thing. I put it out, I give it to the artist. It's different to riff with an artist how to tell the story. But that was a, that was a, a book of much growth for me to work with Kaylin and, and have her be involved and, and help with some aspects of the story, which I'd never, never done before. And then I repeated that process with the Adventures of Cthulhu Jr. and Friends with Scoop McMahon where we plotted the whole book 
the whole five issue miniseries we plotted it in a two and a half hour car ride but again that was at that point it was like a willow machine right bang, bang. to riffing like that but but kaylin was the first time I, I i had that opportunity and it was it was a it was a time of much much growth for sure uh, her last question then is this of which project in your 20-year career are you most proud of and why Tales of Mystery. Now, a lot of people might be surprised it's not Nightmare World. I'm exceptionally proud of Nightmare World. As far as first comic book ever written by a comic book writer, Nightmare World, I think, is is pretty pretty high-ranking example, I would argue, across the medium, of 52 standalone stories, each written by me, illustrated by a different artist or art team. The more I say that, the more that that might be tied. But my knee-jerk reaction, and I'm going to stick with it, would be Tales of Mystery. It's a long-form series. We just did Volume 5. I'm getting ready to start Volume 6. Um, it's incredibly, I think it's an incredibly ambitious entry into the pantheon of horror comics. Because it's about, amongst other things, the long-term study of post-traumatic stress. <laughs> you know, and it's a book that the first four volumes, there's now a, uh, the Tales of Mystery Act one omnibus. The first four volumes are just the, ultimately the first big story arc. And it's such a grand sweeping project. Uh, it's definitely my favorite. It would be very easy to say Nightmare World is the one I'm most proud of. But because I, I have such a personal investment in Tales of Mystery, I'm going to pick that. But that being said, Nightmare World, I mean, nipping at its heels, and I'll tell you what, you catch me on a different day, I might flip-flop my answers. But but Tales of Mystery is, is a book I'm most proud of. And I, in fact, it's funny, I just did a signing the other day for Free Comic Book Day, and I was having a discussion. Someone came in and goes, oh, I get the new Tales of Mystery, right on. I wanted to get it. I said, yeah, I said, this is my, my favorite series yet, right? And he looks at me and he goes, oh, I can see why. <laughs> and I'm like, that's my people. That's my people. I love writing Tales of Mystery. It, it is such a... It's such an ambitious book. And, and five volumes in, I feel like we're still continuing to just see the big picture of what I'm doing with this book. And we'll continue to see that as we move forward. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it's a fun book to read for sure. And beautiful colors, great action. You know, yeah, it, it's a character you can get behind. It is uh, as close to John Constantine as you can get from this side of the ocean. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. And, uh, I really want to get back to getting Tales of Mystery out, if not every year, every other year. It's a tough book to write because to get in that space, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of baggage that goes with Tales of Mystery when I write that book. Mystery is a character that is so damaged. And you talk about the John Constantine example. In a way, Mystery was kind of a, a, a counterpoint to that about a lot of monster hunters are so suave. Right. The idea of the monster hunter, even the trench coated monster hunter, is not unique in comics. But these guys are so suave, like, oh, I just I just outsmarted the devil. I'm gonna go home and have dinner. Or, you know. No. No. <laughs> it's like the level of trauma you experience with that. Like, how do you interface with the world knowing at any time anybody could be a demon? Or in the world of Tales Mystery, everyone knows demons exist. So it's not that they think you're crazy, that because you think they exist. They think he's crazy because he knows they're still there and they think they're not. They think all the demons are gone again. So 
Yeah, it, it's fun to it's fun to unravel that. And Tales of Mystery was so much fun to write because we continue to peel that back as we move forward with mysteries now relationships with his best friend is a demon and he, the the person he's in a relationship with is a very militant demon hunter right and a lot of act two is going to start to explore that dynamic more and more of, of how he's trying to to manage this all and he's a good person in his heart and he just doesn't know it just yeah it's it, that's that's my one that's what I love about you. you the, the excitement and your passion in your voice, as, as much as you say you're an introverted person, but you can hear it. You can hear the passion in your voice for what you create and what you draw from and what you present to the masses that get to read it. You know, that's why I love chatting with you all these times, even, even if it's only been eight times type deal. You know, we got to do something special once you come on for your 10th time. I don't know what it's going to be, but we'll have to figure out something. We'll figure something out, yeah. yeah well, the rate... I have so many new books coming out the next year or so that 10 could be here sooner than sooner than we might think. <laughs> Especially if Trevor's going to try to outdo me, then I got to definitely keep, keep, keep the belt now. Right. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's, easy, it's easy to keep, it's easier to get the belt than it is to defend it. So. Well, I'll put a little belt digitally down in the bottom here for you. Whenever uh, we'll, we'll swap that digital graphic back and forth between you two. <laughs> Um, I've done a lot more to win a lot less, Curtis. That's all I'm going to say. So. <laughs> Last question out of these amazing community that you've uh, you've built up here over the years is from, looks like William K. Halling, Holland, I should say. What up, he, Will? <laughs> Sorry. And he asks, it's all good. He asks, what is in Dirk Manning's pull box? Oh, <laughs> Eric Powell. I love Eric Powell stuff. I, I I have a lot of respect for him as a creator. I enjoy his work as a fan. So uh, I know Eric Powell is doing the exploding albatross stuff, uh, funny books. Now he's uh, moving his stuff back to Dark Horse again. Love the goon. Love Eric Powell stuff. Unabashed fan of Eric Larson's Savage Dragon. Love Savage Dragon. I have every issue of Savage Dragon from the beginning. That is such a fun book. He continues to evolve that book, sometimes in ways that are very unexpected. Again, for a creator, one creator to do a book as long as he has and keep it fresh and entertaining and exciting. And even the last issue of the book paid off like a 20 plus year story arc. <laughs> you know, it's like amazing. I'm going to give a shout out. So Source Point Press, my publisher's been doing a lot of stuff. David Sundra's Deep Dark by Source Point Press. Get this book. This is one of those books I think that people may not necessarily know about until they see it. Look at this first page alone. I mean, again, we geek out here. And if you can see that. That's beautiful. Uh, it, it's incredible. It's this incredible horror comic. And oh my gosh, you know, I mean, again, I knew SourcePoint Press putting it out that it was going to be pretty solid. I was blown away by this. The first issue is out and it is just staggeringly beautiful. But the story is also incredibly compelling. So, I mean, this is one deep dark from SourcePoint Press. Get that. I absolutely love it. I'm going to give a shout out to one more book, a friend of mine too. Uh, longtime collaborator of mine, Josh Ross, just put out his book, Left Turns. I cannot recommend this book enough. Uh, I wrote the forward, full disclosure. I did write the forward for it. This is a book about, uh, I guess the tagline of the, the, the back cover says, it. what's the difference between chasing a dream or a fantasy? And it's about this guy named David. And this is kind of like a creative nonfiction. But it's about a guy named David who wants to become a comic book creator, comic illustrator specifically. And what does that look like? And it's like this 360-page book 
Uh, if you like things like Blankets, Creative Nonfiction, very powerful book. It's about this artist, this, this aspiring artist who wants to become a comic creator. Very topical. It's a nice companion piece to write or wrong. This is the first book that Josh Ross has ever written and illustrated that's been published, published by SourcePoint Press. It'll be distributed in the coming months by them. A lot of people may know Josh's work from Nightmare World, First Volume Tales of Mystery. He did a chapter in Butts and Seats. We may or may not have a big project coming out together soon as well again. But wow, this powerful. A buddy of Josh and I, another fellow collaborator, Austin McKinley, mm-hmm. I think he said this is a perfect example of what the medium is capable of. That was it, brother. I mean, just left turns. I didn't get these right now directly from Josh. Look this up. Very powerful. So yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm rocking right now, along with your typical, you know, an Alan Moore, Alan Moore stuff. I mean, he's pretty much towards, I think, the end of his run. Those are my big hitters right now. And I've said this to you before, and I've said this pretty much to everyone that has a Kickstarter campaign. It's like a second job or third job, depending yeah. on how many jobs you have. What is different compared to, say, other campaigns in that you've done in the past for this book that you're a product? That's a great question, because this has been a very different campaign for me in regards to normally when I do a Kickstarter, I do it for a comic book, a graphic novel, and I do like the limited edition hardcover, right? And you get a deluxe version of the book and all these add-ons and things like that. That doesn't fit right or wrong. And right or wrong is get a second edition of a book that that previously came out. So what I did with this one, which was different, was um, I, I chose not to focus on that, but in, instead chose to really focus on stretch goals and things like that that would be of interest to people who uh, want to pursue creative endeavors or get a, a peek behind the curtain, who I call round one. So even my stretch goals were different on this one. My first three rounds of stretch goals are you get a the, a digital copy of a comic I've written. Uh, I think the first yeah the first round was Hope Volume Two Number One. Mm-hmm. Again, book everyone's been asking for. Uh, then you get the full script to the issue. So in right or wrong, I do offer some script samples and things like that. But here's like literally the full comic I wrote, the full script, and then I'm also offering a full commentary about what it was like to work on this. The second round of stretch goals, which you've also unlocked, I did that for The Adventures of Cthulhu Jr. and Friends. Because again, these are books that people normally don't associate with me when they think like Nightmare World, Tales of Mystery, Very But Not Dead, things like that. You know, this is, um, these are different styles of books. Then the third stretch goal, which we're moving towards right now, which is not a bad place to be for three days into a campaign, moving towards the third stretch goal, is um, courtesy of Magic Ninja Entertainment. I'm getting to offer the full first issue of Twisted Haunted High on Curse of the Green Book. That, right? That whole script, and then the commentary about what it's like working with real people on a comic when the characters are based on them. You know, um, the round two stretch goals are going to focus on more, I think, some of the traditional stuff people expect me from a campaign. I do have some other extra really cool stretch goal stuff after that. But this has been a very different style campaign. Even my funding goal was normal, uh, was lower than I, than I normally do. Because what was more important to me is ultimately right or wrong. As much as I joke, go to writerwrongbook.com or go to Kickstarter, look up right or wrong. Uh, this I'm passionate about this book because this is my pay-it-forward book. I'm so fortunate to be in this position 20 years and have 20 graphic novels published. 
you know, when you start down this journey, you think about, yeah, that's the goal. Do a book a year. Do a book a year. It's another thing to live it and to do it, right? Uh, it's and, and again, I always said that I would do whatever I could to pay it forward. I set a low goal on this one. I'm making the pledge levels um, as accessible as possible. I'm not doing any really big blown up uh, pledge levels. I do have one, and again, it's ridiculous. You can get the Dirk Manning Library, which is you get the right or wrong, and I think five other graphic novels, for like, including the Nightmare World, the complete collection, which is like a 500-page book. For 125 bucks it's it's insane you can get like all my new stuff just here you go but and i'll say this i haven't talked about this yet the dirk manning action figure this is an actual toy an actual figure produced by knucklehead toys i dirk manning is now in a toy line <laughs> with guar cheech and chong twisted uh my buddy ming chen Jelly Roll, um, and in celebration of my 20 years of terror, there is now an official Dirk Manning action figure. Uh, I call this for the campaign, the Desk Dirk, and you can see when they had him design it. I had him design this to kind of match mm-hmm. right or wrong. So it's a your little reminder that, you know, that you little Desk Dirk, you, know, you put it on your desk, it could, you know, help you, you know, help get you, motivate you to write. Um, I'm also offering those through the campaign. And as cool as it is to have my own action figure, I, I told them, the uh, company, I said, I'm not doing another run of these. We did a limited amount. And the only time I'm offering these via mail order is through this campaign. So if you want the desk Dirk, the Dirk Manning figure, you can get through this campaign, which is new to me. I, I normally do like some sort of like cool like add-on thing, like the candles and Tales of Mystery I've done or t-shirts. No, this time I actually have the run of the, the toys and we're offering those through the campaign. And, and again, it may sound odd, the fact that I should be sending these out left, right, and sideways, but people that come see me on the road, you can get the Dirk Manning figure. If you want a mail order, you can get through the campaign. You can just get the figure. You can get the figure in the book combo. You can get extra stuff. So it's a different style of campaign for me because ultimately though, I just wanted to pay it forward with this campaign. Um, uh, I, I just wanna make this book available to people that want it. And again, people that have supported my career for 20 years and want a Dirk Manning action figure, this is your chance to get me a mail order. Right? What a world. <laughs> what a world. <laughs> it's like 20 years in the game. You don't get a pension. But maybe a toy company will make a Dirk Manning figure that will be available everywhere. Did, did you ever think in your career you'd get a toy of yourself? Not a real one, no. I mean... <laughs> You know, friends of mine over the years have made like custom Funkos. I got it over there on my shelf and stuff like that. Uh, you can maybe kind of see him poking his head out yeah. a little bit there. Right. Uh, like custom Funkos of Dirk Manning. And because of the Dirk Manning image, you know, uh, some of the comic creators have like drawn in versions of this in the comics over the years and things like that. But to have a real toy company make a real Dirk Manning toy. And then for me to turn around and say, oh my God, this is incredible, but I'm going to make it limited edition. It just is wild. You know, you would have asked me at any point in my career before it happened if that would have been a reality. And that started as just a joke online. You talked about what great readers and stuff I have. I was doing a live stream talking to everybody. And they said, someone made a joke about, yeah, for your 20 years, you should you should make a toy or make a Funko. And I said, I don't know. I, that's, I mean, you can make a Funko Pop. You could make one of yourself if you're willing to 
pay the amount to buy that many. Hmm. And I'm not interested in, in that vanity stuff. I'm not. But it started as a joke. And I said, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, for 20 years, we'll make a toy. Ha, ha, ha. And then the conversation started to unfold. And I said, oh, my gosh, we can actually do this. I said, screw it. Let's go. I'm an author. Uh, I'm mainly a book guy. I'm surrounded in a room full of books. Although, again, I do have my, you know, some fun goes that bring me joy. Ridiculous little 10 or $12 chunks of plastic that I look at them. And the fact that I can have two different versions of a gelatinous cube. Yeah. You know, or on free comic day, we just got Notre Dame the Demon. <laughs> Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. But uh, I never, if you would have told me even three years ago, yeah, they're going to make a Dirk Manning action figure. I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> There's no way. Let alone like the, the toy line with Guar. And with, uh, you know, Cheech and Chong and with Twisted and stuff like that. And, and Jelly Roll. Art the Clown from Terrifiers in that toy line. Oh, jeez. And me. Well, living legends are, are always fun to be in plastic figurine format. So, you know, it is what it is. And now you're immortalized for, for the masses to purchase and, and plop on their desk and have them stare at have you Have you stare at them in... Yeah, you know, as long as it's like the Zuli doll and Trilogy of Terror, right? Where you <laughs> yeah. come alive and, I mean, let's be honest, all we do is probably eat your ice cream and then just write stories. It'd just be very content, like reading a book or, so if any of your desk jerks come alive, just put a little ice cream out, maybe a book, and have your keyboard open and it'll probably eat some ice cream, read a book, and then write your story. And then throw on, uh, have it say, hey, Alexa, play this song. Yeah, it, it, it may or may not carry Oki Motorhead. Exactly. That's true. That, that's the, the deluxe version. Um, <laughs> well, Dirk, we, we could talk. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, microchips can do amazing things these days. Right. Pull, pull string, you know? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, right, though, God. See, these things start as a joke, uh, Curtis, but now it might happen. There, there might eventually be a deluxe version that does, like... If if this happens eventually to become a deluxe version, pull pull tab or, or voice activated, hey, Dirk, sing me this song. What are your top three karaoke songs? Ace of Spades by Motorhead. Hmm. My curveball song I love to do is Delilah by Tom Jones. Oh, nice. I'm very sneaky. A lot of times if I'm like in a little hole in the wall bar somewhere, like on the road, I'm, keep in mind, wearing a black suit, right? Hair, slick back. No one knows who I am. I'll go up there if there's karaoke, I'll do Delilah by Tom Jones. And they see this guy in the suit, you know, I saw flickering light by the window, you know, and everybody's into it. So then I go up again, they think, oh, he's got to do Sinatra or something. And then I bust out Ace of Spades by Motorhead. So those would be my top two. Uh, third one I really like to do. I haven't done this one very often, but I really enjoy it when I do it. And I've not done this one live very often. I love to do Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's a great song, and I love singing it because I have the, 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 the tone for it. Or I love doing the Metallica cover of the Bob Seger classic, Turn the Page. Turn the page yeah. I, again, one that I... I I don't do that very often publicly because usually if I'm at a con or something, you need to come in, hit them hard, and get out. Yeah. Um, but 
those are those are a couple. But those might be in the deluxe version. And in terms of I make one, I'm going to send you one for free. Oh, I appreciate just that. So you, just so you know. I, I'm going to take care of you. If that happens, I will make sure that one gets to you <laughs> and that it will not be an evil Zulu down. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. Well, Dirk, you know, we could talk literally for hours and then you would take over the spot for the longest podcast, which Trevor Mueller does actually hold the record for at four hours. We, will, we want to give him something, right? So <laughs> he can have that. He can have that. He'll have he'll have quality and I'll have quality. <laughs> which only half of that got released, but that's beside the point. Uh, but like I say every week that ends this particular episode of you geeks talking dirt thank you again so much for coming on the show as always i greatly appreciate your insight and your knowledge and your amazing personality that shines a light on this show in whatever you decide to promote i really appreciate it. for those of you that have listened to the whole thing thank you check out a bunch of kurt's other interviews he's one of my favorite interviewers thank you for having me on and again one last quick plug if you're interested in investing yourself as a creative writerongbook.com 25 bucks will get you a book that I am thoroughly convinced because of testimonials. I mean, watch the video at the top of the page. It'll show you. This is a book that'll help you realize your creative passions. Thank you, Kurt, for letting me come on and talk about it. I appreciate you every, every time. You're truly amazing, that person, obviously. And, you know, we're, we're going to have you back on number nine, number 10, whatever the case may yes, be. Sir. By the time I retire this show, you'll probably be on at least 20 times. That's my that's my benchmark. If I can get you to 20 on this show, I'm going to just retire. That, that'll be it. Well, I will pace myself so that we have many more conversations, but we also have the joy and the honor of having you with us for a long time as well. Appreciate that. Like I said, that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. You'd, of course, find this interview in a thousand plus, actually 1,200 plus others on our website, tgtmedia.com or twogeekstalking.com. That's the word two, not the number two. Website's going through a revamp, as it always does. Go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash tgtmedia. The podcast is actually back after 12 or so years. You can find that at twogeekstalking.podbean.com or just search Two Geeks Talking on your favorite streaming service, iTunes, Spotify, whatever you listen to your podcasts on, Alexa even, and get this interview and hundreds of more interviews in the past because I like, you know, podcasts, they're fun. And as I say every week, everyone has a story to tell. It's up to me to help bring that out. Thanks for listening and watching on Two Geeks Talking.